0: Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. I have an alternate title I've also been thinking to myself. It's Battling for the Breakthrough, which is basically what the Lord was telling us today. You just, you cannot quit. You cannot give up. It's it'll get hard at times, but we approach everything from our position. Paul said it in, in the book of Ephesians. We are seated with him in heavenly places. That's our seat of authority. That's our seat of where our our essence is. If we try to attack things from our humanity, from where we are naturally, or we just try to pray against circumstances or or whatever, it's never going to work out. It, It will work out to the strength and the ability that you have to work it out. And some people are strong in some areas and weak in other areas. So the areas you're strong, you may be able to accomplish a few things. The areas you're weak, you won't accomplish much. The problem is when you get to heaven, the things you accomplish in your flesh, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, everything that we did in our flesh is wood, hay, and stubble, and it's going to be burned up. And you may get blessed in this life, but there are. I would rather be unblessed in this life, and be blessed in in the hereafter. Amen? Amen. Let's go back. I want to just tag a couple of things. Jude chapter, or chapter, Jude verse 3. This is where we started. Jude says this in the third verse. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints the faith our faith being a christian which is what our faith is is talked about our common salvation what is common to every christian we all walk in the same basic truth if you are in christ then he is in you you are in him jesus said speaking to the disciples he said guys it, I think it was um, um, well I forget which one it was. they asked. He said, "It would suffice if you would just show us the Father." And he said, "I've been so long with you that you don't realize when you see me, you see the Father." Jesus was confident in who He was in the Father, and we have to be confident of who we are in Christ, so that when people see us, they should see Jesus, they should see the Father. Amen? That's our common salvation. That's our common faith. But notice, it says, I come, I, I encourage you. Mount said, encouraged. Uh, uh, New King James says, I exhort you. That word there is paracleo. We went over this. This is someone who comes alongside to cheer you on. It's exactly what the Lord did this morning. He came alongside and he said, Do not quit. I've called you, I've called you, I've called you. If man called you, it may work out, it may not. But if God calls you to do something, and that's the key, do you know what God's call is? Because He has a call on all of us. And this is not in my notes, but you can go check it out later. You go to, the, to Ephesians uh, chapter 4, about halfway through it, he talks, he gives you the fivefold ministry gifts apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. But then when you read that same list over in the letter to the Corinthians, he names um, apostle, prophet, pastor, and then he gives descriptions. The rest of those descriptions, Basically, if you want to, for a better word, they fall under the ministry of helps. Because, unfortunately, and this started a long time ago, man wants to get over into this trap, just like Israel was. Israel said, give us a king, give us a king. And God said, I don't want to give you a king, I'm your king. And they said, no, we want a king, we want somebody we can lay hands on. Well, the church has the same sin tendency. Only our tendency is, give us a pastor, give us an apostle, give us a prophet. Give me somebody that can do the work of the ministry so I don't have to. I'll just shell out some bucks. I'll pray for you, you go do it. And God says, that's not what I've called you to do. I've given you the apostle and the prophet and the pastor and the teacher and the evangelist to equip you to go do the work of the ministry. That's what we're doing here. That's what he's encouraging us. The struggle for the faith is our struggle to walk in obedience to God's calling so we can do the work of the ministry. Amen? And it's not always easy. For one thing, just what we just read there in Jude 3, you have to contend earnestly. The, the words there means you're going to have to wrestle for those. They, they, they just don't come. We went through, and if you would, turn over to Galatians real quick. Galatians chapter 5. I'm not going to go through all of this, but I want to take part of one scripture. We went through the works of the flesh last week, but at the very end of verse 19... Now, excuse me, the very end of verse 21, Paul has listed the works of the flesh there, and he says, Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, brother, does that mean that people are walking in sin, are going to hell? Not necessarily. Because I'll be honest with you, if that was the case, I'm not sure anybody that belongs to any church, born again or otherwise, they were going to make it to heaven. Because we all flirt with those lusts of the flesh and those works of the flesh at times. That's where the amen went. And if, if, if you can't amen, then we're going to have a prayer line for prideful people here in just a minute. We all tend to do that. We get off in those, unfortunately. We get off into everything listed there, maybe not specifically. And we have this tendency to think, and if you've ever been involved in evangelism, you, you know this. Well, I don't rob banks. I don't steal from people. I'm a good uh, husband. I'm a good wife. I'm a good parent. Who cares? It's, you can still do the works of the flesh. What Paul is talking about here doesn't mean that these people aren't born again, but you cannot walk in the blessings of God if you have those things in your life. They just don't equate. We have to walk, in fact, we'll, we'll come back to that, but we have to walk in the Spirit. If you go to um, Ephesians 6.12, similar thought. This is Paul at the very end of this letter saying, okay guys, this is how you walk this out in verse 12. Very familiar verse. New King James, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Notice what he says, I I like Mount says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. The the word there that, that is translated struggle, I love this definition. It says it's a contest between two in which each endeavors to throw the other and which is decided when the victor is able to hold his opponent down with his hand upon his neck. Now we are not wrestling against flesh and blood. Now I'll be honest with you. Most of the time when I read that, my thought me, the, my thought process goes, I'm not wrestling against people that are against me. There is a truth to that. But even a greater truth than that is I'm not wrestling against my own flesh and blood. My flesh, this body, the nature of the flesh that resides in my physical body, I cannot conquer. I can't do it. So how do I ever get it down and pin it with my hand on its neck? Well, for one thing, I'm going to have to approach this fight not in a fleshly manner, but I'm going to have to approach this fight and this wrestling match. And, and I, I like the fact that, that they translate that wrestle or, or struggle because there is a difference between boxing and wrestling. If you've ever watched a boxing match, there are a few blows landed, but very rarely do you get a blow landed. You watch a wrestling match, they've always got their hands and there's always effort being exerted. Not that there's not an effort in a boxing match. If you've ever tried to box three minutes in a boxing match, that's the longest three minutes you'll ever spend in your life. It's exhausting. But in a wrestling match, if you relax even for a second, you're pinned. Well, that's how we, we do this. But we don't, we don't take aim at the flesh, whether it's other people or even our own flesh. Luke ten nineteen. Jesus made this statement. He's talking to the disciples. These guys are not even born again yet. This is prior to the resurrection. This is prior to Jesus going and conquering death and conquering hell, taking the keys of death and hell. But Jesus looks at them and He said, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. He gave His disciples authority. How much more now that He's conquered death and hell and He has all authority in all the universe. Now He always had authority as God, but He has authority now over the devil's territory because He conquered him. And when you conquer someone, you get their authority. You get to take charge over everything that they had. So he has every bit of authority and he says, I'm giving that to you. But what's he called us to do with that authority? Well, we looked at one of the verses we looked at, and I'm just going to touch on this. 1 Peter 4.11, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. That's probably the, the toughest thing God has ever called us to do. If my mouth's open and there are words coming out of it, it ought to be God talking and not me. That means I can't pay attention to my circumstances. I can't pay attention to how I feel. I can't even pay attention to how I think other than when I, I'm thinking how, how in ways that my mind has been renewed to what the Bible teaches. Amen? Go to Colossians chapter 3. Same concept here. Let's start in verse 1. Paul makes this statement. He said, if then you were raised with Christ. Well, that's a big if. Basically, he's asking, if you are born again, because the the letter to Colossae and the letter to Ephesus are virtual twins. About, I don't know, 70, 80, 90% of what's written in Colossians is also written word for word in the book of Ephesians. They're a little bit different because they're addressing slightly different audiences and they're addressing slightly different uh, the same problem from slightly different angles. But they're almost the same. And in the book of Ephesians, he's already told us, or the letter to the church at Ephesus, he's already told us, when you are born again, you're seated with Him in heavenly places. Well, he's saying here then, if you were raised with Christ, not as if some Christians are, some Christians aren't. Basically, the question here is, are you saved? Are you born again? Are you in Christ? Because if you are, you're you're, you're, you're already raised with Him. If that is a fact in your life, then seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. I love that phrase in, in the second verse. Set your mind. That doesn't mean, oh, I'm going to work on this. Brain, think on this. Think on this. No, it, it's, it's the term that we use to set a clock. You ever got up and, and you look at your clock and you know it's, you know, in my case, when I get up, three, four, two, who knows? But if I wake up and it's, it's early, and I know it's early, and I look at my, my watch, and my watch says it's, you know, four, and I know every other clock in the house has somewhere around three, this thing's wrong. So how do I know what to set it on? I go to the ultimate source. In our house, we have a little portable battery-operated clock that checks in with the Naval Observatory at least twice a day. And the Naval Observatory is, is accurate to within a millionth of a second all the time. I go to a source that I know it this is going to be right. And I'm going to set my watch on that I carry on my arm to something I know is right. So the rest of the day, if my watch is functioning correctly, I've got the right time. When he says, set your mind on things above. He's saying you need to set your thinking on this. This is your accurate time. You take the written word and you say, this is my guide. This is my stone. This is the landmark and I'm not moving off of this. If, give me, let me give you a perfect example. If this says I'm healed, I don't care what my body says. Now, I do care what my body says. And if it says I'm, I'm, I've got symptoms, then I'm going to get on my faith. I may also go to the doctor. I don't deny that doctors can do... If it wasn't for doctors, half the, 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 the Christians in the world would, would die early. Myself, no exception. But I still, even when I'm seeking medical help, I have set myself, the Bible says I am healed and I declare I'm healed. Everything, every circumstance in my life says, nope, not going to work. I go to my checkbook and I got more bills than I got at the end of the month and I got money at the end of the month. Well, if I've been sowing seed, giving my tithe, and that's not my lesson today, but those are not the same thing, Sowing your tithe, paying your tithe is, that's where you start. You don't start sowing seed into the kingdom of God until you get past the tithe. With that rousing enthusiasm, we'll move on. But if I've been giving giving my tithe, if I've been sowing seed, then even if my checkbook says, nope, you don't have enough money, I'm going to claim, no, I am abundantly supplied. I am abundantly supplied, and whatever God has to do to get the funds to me, I'm going to do that. Now, that does not mean, because I, I had this situation when we were in, in, Gina and I were in Bible school, our pastor in Tulsa had a gentleman come to him and he said, You know, Pastor, you preach on prosperity and you preach that giving pays and God, God will, will multiply your seed. And I've been sowing seed left and right. And he said, and I'm not prospering. And Pastor Bob looked at him he said, well, tell me what's going on. He said, well, I don't know what's going on. I'm not getting any money coming in. I just keep getting these stupid job offers. (laughs) Well, duh. God supplies our need usually through a job. And if if, if you don't have a job, believe for any job. And if you get a job and it doesn't meet your needs, believe for a better job or a promotion on that job. That's, what, that's how we take the Word. I set my life by the Word. Why can I do that? Verse 3, Colossians 3. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. I can't, I don't rule my life by my thinking because I'm dead. You know, I've preached many a funeral. I've gone to a lot more funerals than I've even ever preached. But I've never walked up to a casket and tried to have a conversation. I've seen people do that. It's a one-way conversation. The corpse doesn't talk back. It has nothing to say because it's dead. When it comes to my life, I have nothing to say about how I am, who I am, or what I do. Why? Because I'm dead. I only care what Christ says about me, what Christ says to me. That's what counts because He's alive and I'm not. And if I'm, if I'm, if I'm truly dead in my own eyes and alive unto Him, then I'm looking to Him to direct me. Amen? Drop down to verse 14. We're still in Colossians 3. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Between verse, where was I, verse 4 and verse 14, those 10 verses, Paul goes on and and he says, look, don't do these things and do do these things. He gives you some practical examples. But then he sums it all up. It's what I said last week. When the Pharisees and the teachers of the law came to Jesus, and they said, you tell us which is the greatest commandment. And they were looking to trip him up and and get something against him. He said, oh, that's an easy one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. On those two hang all the Old Testament, all of the law and the prophets. Paul saying the same thing. Above all, more important than anything else in your life, put on love. That put on means wear it, express it, walk in it. Why? Because God is love and if you're walking with him, you're going to walk just and look just like him. Now, love is not the Hollywood version of love. Love doesn't say, oh, you know, I forget the movie. I, I, I don't even think I ever watched it. Somebody tried to force me one time and I refused. But the key line in it, in it is love never, is never having to say you're sorry. And when I heard that, it was like, well, duh. That's about the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Love means you're constantly apologizing. Somebody, when I used to teach, one of the teachers one time, they, they, I was doing something, I think I was ordering flowers or something for Gina, and, and they made the comment, they said, you know, you sure do try to earn a lot of brownie points. And I said, honey, if you spent them as quick as I do, you'd have to earn a bunch of them. Because I'm not, I, I, you know, true confession time, I'm not the easiest person to, to live with. Gina has actually had ladies come up to her before. They, they obviously didn't know me real well. And they've said to her, oh, it just must be heaven to live with him. He, you know, I'm sure your house is always filled with the anointing and he just speaks words of wisdom. And she just, you know, she could not keep a straight face. It was like, no, you want to know the real me? Talk to my wife, talk to my kids. They'll tell you the real me. And it's not the man that preaches. I've said it before, I have an anointing to preach. I don't have an anointing to live it. I have to live it just the way you do, by faith. And it's not always easy. But when you find yourself off track, you stop and you say, what am I doing here? I'm right here in the middle of the pig pen again. I could go to my father's house and have plenty. So you run back to the father and he runs to meet you. That's how we do it. But we have to keep setting our mind and keep setting our mind and keep setting our mind. How do you do that? Verse 16, Paul takes it up. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The the Greek word there for, for dwell... I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. But it is in the the active or the present tense, the active voice, and the imperative mood. And that just makes sense to everybody, right? Present tense means it's a continuous right now activity. You are never going to get to a place where you don't have to do this. It's not something you did in the past, not something you're going to do in the future. It's something you do right now, and when the right now changes to tomorrow, tomorrow is the right now, and you have to do it right now. Amen? Active voice means it's me. The subject of the sentence, which is you, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. I'm the subject. So it's me that has to do this. This isn't something God does for me. It isn't something God does to me. It's something that I have to do for myself. And then, imperative mood, it's a commandment, not a suggestion. My wife, every once in a while, when when we're driving down the road, she'll say, How fast are you going? And I say, Honey, that sign over there is just a suggestion, it's a suggested speed. And occasionally, you know, the little lights come in in your rear view mirror and the policeman pulls you over and he reminds you this is not a suggestion. I don't care that there were 5,000 other cars in that line going the same speed. I pulled you over and you were going beyond the limit. So, let's deal with your actions. You can cry all you want. You can say, but, but everybody else was, and they're still going to write the ticket. Amen? It's, an, it's, it's in the imperative move. It's a commandment. I have to do this continually. Day in, day out, moment to moment. There is never a, a period when I get to say, okay, I'm not going to do this now. Now, what is it? how is it I do this, or what's the thought behind this? Well, we looked last week, and I'm, I'm going to do my best to finish this up. I'm not going to be done in the next five minutes, but I'll be done in the next 15. Go over to um, um, Galatians again. We looked at the works of the flesh. But I want to look at Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to look first of all at verse 11. Because before Paul ever brought up about the works of the flesh... Well, first of all, in, in the first four chapters, Paul has dealt with extensively rebuking the Galatian church for walk, trying to walk under the law. We have that same tendency. Well, this worked for me. This is how God told me to do it. If he told me, if he told me to do it this way, then it must be that way for everybody. no. God may tell you to do something one way and tell someone else to do it a different way. You need to be concerned about how you do it for yourself. What has God called you to do? And how has God called you to live? And do not put your requirements over on someone else. And don't think just because you're obeying Him in one area that you are obeying Him in every area. Because we're not. But Paul says here in... in it's Galatians 5, verse 16. Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. What does he mean here when he says to walk? It's the, the Greek word stokia, which basically the picture here is to proceed and march like a, sh- a soldier marches. You know, it's it, back in... Civil War days, Napoleonic War days, when, when soldiers marched in formation, they needed them to learn how to march in formation because when, when they would give orders, they would take a large, because the only way you could get a large volume of fire was to have a large group of men with a single shot, musket, or rifle, and they all fired at the same place at the same time. So, you had to have them grouped and you had to have them move in groups. You didn't just want a mob of people running somewhere. You marched, and if you needed to turn left, they needed to go at an angle, they'd go oblique, they'd go. There were all kinds of marching commands. Today, we don't fight wars like that. And yet, if you go to boot camp, the first thing they do is teach you how to march. They even teach you how to march in the Air Force, they don't walk anywhere. The Navy will teach you how to march. And they don't walk anywhere. They're out in water. Where are you going to walk to? Why do they teach you to march? Because they're trying to get you to walk and and learn to walk and obey orders. That's what God is telling us right here. March in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. If you will take my orders and go left when I say go left, and go right when I say go right, and go straight, and if I tell you to turn around and walk backwards for a while, then turn around and walk backwards for a while. Well, brother, I don't believe there's any demotion in the kingdom of God. Well, there isn't demotion in the kingdom of God, but obeying God is always promotion, no matter what your earthly activity is. Amen? Amen? And I'll give you an example of that. When we went to Rama, one of our teachers, and his name just left me, he was retired military, and he was a pilot for the SR-71. Fastest spy plane that's ever flown in the history of any country in the world ever. The thing flew so high and so fast, the skin on that thing would literally glow red. It would heat up so much, and it's flying 90,000 feet or above. You did not, you had to wear a pressure suit. They would put them in space suits to get in. And you had to be one of the creme de la creme to get that piloting job. This guy was, was a retired SR-71 pilot. And he retired from the military, came to Bible school. He was a colonel, full colonel when he retired. And when he came to Bible school, he needed to, he wanted to work. Because he was still young enough, he wasn't pulling all of his military retirement and he was getting no social security. So he had to have some kind of a job. You know what his job was? Working as a janitor in a, in a church, scrubbing toilets and vacuuming carpet. So a full bird colonel in the Air Force had commanded men. Could have had an, probably an entire wing of, of pilots under him if he hadn't been in the, in the SR-71 program. And yet he's working as a janitor in a a church. And he looked at it as a promotion. Why? Because he was following God. It wasn't a demotion. Most people would look at that and say, I'm cleaning that toilet. Are you kidding? I'm a colonel. God looks at your rank and says, Who cares? This is what I've asked you to do. Will you do it? In fact, Ramah had, because of this, they had a saying. If you're not willing to wash some toilets, you're probably not willing to get promoted. It's not necessarily what you do. It's being willing to do anything you need to do to get, to, to obey what God's telling you to do. Amen? Now, how do we do this? He says we should, well, let's go drop down to verse 22. This is where he, he, um, Paul writes and he gives us the, the fruit of the Spirit. There is an alternate translation of this verse. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, but rather than having a, co- a comma there, it has a semicolon. Meaning, the fruit of the Spirit, your Spirit, walking out God's will in your life, is love, agape, singular, dot, end, that's it. And that love is expressed as joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And the reason they translate that is because of the next words. Against such there is no law. When we talk about those things as the gifts of the Spirit, Paul just said that this is not an exclusive list. It's not an encyclopedic list. These are just examples of fruit that God will give you. But it's all the fruit of love. How do I say that? Glad you asked. You all are paying attention real well. Verse 24. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Paul's already said, if you walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Now he's given you the key to, how to what you need to be able to walk in the Spirit. You need to live in the Spirit. The Greek word there is zeo. There are two words that we will have translated live, living, life. One is zoe, which is the noun form of this word. And the other is zeo, Z-A-O, which is the verb form of the word for life. The God kind of life is either zoe or zeo. Zoe, and I want you to get this, I know it's a little technical. Zoe is a noun. Zeo is the verb. Life is a verb. Life is an action. Life is something that you are actively engaged in. What's that mean to us? We'll go back to Matthew 16, 16. Matthew 16, 16 is when Peter gets the revelation of who Christ is, and he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God, the Zao God, the verb form of living God. You are you are the Son, you're the the, the, the offspring of a God who has its action. And he is working things out because his love just not his life is just not static. Even more than that, go over to the to the book of John, chapter um, six. And we're going to finish up here in John. John chapter six. Let's start in verse fifty one. Well, back up. Verse 47. It's hard to find a beginning spot here because this is so much in here. But verse 47, this is Jesus talking. He said, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. Verse 51 says, and I'm just going to give you, when I say living, I'm going to tell you whether it's zeo, the verb form, or zoe, the noun form. Slightly different, but when you hear it's a verb, that means there is an action involved in this. It's not just describing life. It's describing an action that God's involved in. Verse 51, this is Jesus speaking of Himself. He says, I am the living verb. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. His life impregnated a woman and gave birth to the second person of the Godhead who was actively seeking that which was was lost. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live, zeo, the verb form, Forever, And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life, zoe, the noun form, the life of the world. Which when I read that, what I'm seeing is Jesus has the potential for life, zoe, the noun. But if you tap into that, if you confess Him as your Lord and Savior, if you make it a daily activity to dwell in Him and in His Word, then that that potential that He has becomes active and living in your heart. That's walking in the Spirit. Drop down to verse uh, 57. As the living... Zeo, the verb form, as the living Father sent me, and I live, verb form, because of the Father, so He who feeds on me will live because of me. You will have an active life. You will have a life that's on the inside of you that is growing, that is changing, that has power, that doesn't just leave you the same. It's not a life that's just a potential to do something. It's actually working the will of God out in you so that you can walk in the Spirit and walk just like God. Now if you go down to verse 66, and if my, my um, between verse 57 and verse 66, Jesus uses the metaphor of you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it was a metaphor because he hasn't caused us to the life of cannibalism. And I have nothing wrong with, with the Catholic Church or no, no axe to grind. But when you take communion, when you take the bread, it does not become the literal body of Christ. You don't have flesh in your stomach. And when you drink the juice or the wine, however you take communion, it does not become the literal blood. You will not see blood cells in your, in your stomach. It is a symbol, it is a metaphor for tapping into the life of God. But they had a problem with it. In fact, when, when we get on down here, well, verse 66, from that time many of His disciples went, went back and walked with Him no more. He, he lost the crowd. He actively shoved the crowd out. He gave them a truth that He knew they could not handle. And then He turns to His disciples. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? He invited them to leave. Jesus was a real loving pastor. You don't like it here, there's a door. That's basically what He said. But what did they answer? Simon Peter answered Him, I'm in verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You, you, everything that we're after, we know who you are. In fact, verse 69, he says, Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The first one is the noun form. We know you have eternal life. We know that the potential for eternity is in you. But we also know that you are the Son of that active God that's trying to have a relationship with us. And we know, this is not, you just said some stuff that just freaks me out. But I don't know where else to go. Because I've said under your ministry, I know the anointing is on you. I know you have life in you. I know that you represent the Father and I want to get to the Father. So I'm sticking with you, even if I don't have any idea what you're talking about right now. That's what the, and thank God they at least had that mindset. Now, i got three minutes and I'm going to finish this up. John 10.10, my favorite verse in all the New Testament. New King James says, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life, Zoe, and that they may have it more abundantly. I love Rick Renner. If you don't know who Rick Renner is, I'll tell you sometime. But he has a, a, a an expanded translation of this verse. And it's a little wordy, but I want to I want to hit on it here for just a second. Verse 10, this is Renner's expanded translation. The thief wants to get his hands into every good thing in your life. In fact, this pickpocket is looking for any opportunity to wiggle his way so deeply into your personal affairs that he can walk off with everything you hold precious and dear. That's not all. When he's finished stealing all your goods and all your possessions, he'll take his plan to rob you blind to the next level. He'll create conditions and situations so horrible that you'll see no way to solve the problem except to sacrifice everything that remains from his previous attacks. The goal of this thief is to totally waste and devastate your life. If nothing stops him, He'll leave you insolvent, flat broke, cleaned out in every area of your life. You'll end up feeling as if you are finished and out of business. Now does that sound like what the Lord said through Noni this morning? You're not washed up. You're not finished. You're not out of business. Keep going. If I've called you, keep stepping it out. That's the thief trying to tell you that you're washed up, you're finished, and you're out of business. Make no mistake, the enemy's ultimate aim is to obliterate you. And then the second part. But I came that they might have, keep, and constantly retain a vitality, gusto, vigor, and zest for living that springs up from deep down inside. I came that you might embrace this unrivaled, unequaled, matchless, incomparably, richly loaded and overflowing life to the ultimate maximum. We just read earlier, let the the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word there for richly is the Greek word where we get the, the English word plutocrat. If you tell me, you ask me, am I a rich man? I'll tell you yes. I'm a very rich man. Why? Because of my testimony. Now I can give you my testimony in about 10 seconds. I was blind and now I see. I was lost and now I am found. That's my testimony. Jesus, I was in the mire and He picked me up, cleaned me up, and set me up with Him. It doesn't matter what my circumstances are. My story is insignificant. My story only represents that I didn't know what I was doing or where I was or where I needed to go. And Jesus came in and grabbed me and lifted me up and gave me direction. He gave me new life. And he gave all of that to me richly. This would be like, you ask me, John, uh, our house needs work done. We're going to remodel it here in a little while. So, What are you going to do with it? Well, I'm going to take all of the money that we have available and a little more that we can afford to borrow, and I'm going to go in and I'm going to repair and do everything to the very best that I can with what I've got to work with. But I have limitations. Now, if my bank account was the bank account of, say, Bill Gates, or say some sheikh from Saudi Arabia who you know, goes out and buys a, a new 777 Boeing just and, and takes it and strips it because he wants to have it made his way, you know, those things cost anywhere from 200 to 400 million dollars. And there are men in the world who buy them for toys. Now, that's the kind of rich we are spiritually. When when God says, let the Word of God dwell in you richly, He said, you let My Word dwell in you just like you were as rich as the richest man in the world. There's nothing I've called you that you can't call on Me, and I will bring heaven and earth to bear. I will spare no expense. If I've called you to do it, I'll pay for it. If I've called you to do it, I'll equip you to get it done. If I've called you to do it, I will make you to prosper so that you can accomplish it, not just barely, not just kind of good, but I will equip you and provide for you that you can accomplish it grandly and richly, just like you owned all the money in the planet. That's what God... And if you will let the Word dwell in you that way, then those are the resources that you know I have. I've given you to pour out. Because He doesn't give that to us just to bless us. He's given us that to bless others. The whole point of the work of the ministry is to take what He's given me and pour it out on other people. Amen? It's not a bless me club. It's not a heap it up, can it up, get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. It's, I want to be a, 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 um, a tube. I want to be a source, and a huge source, to provide for every need of every person that comes that has a need whether it be whatever. If God's called me to be the one to meet that need, He's responsible to supply that need. Amen? That's how we wrestle. That's how we struggle against not... Remember, I'm going to go back and close with this verse. We were in in, um, Ephesians 6. I don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But I do wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. I have to back them off. See, my problem is not my circumstances. My problem is not people. My problem are the spirits in this world that want to come and steal, kill, and destroy Whether it's in my personal life, in my family's life, in my nation's life, in my church's life, it does not matter. I loved what Lee said. God has called us to bring light into darkness. If you're not, if you don't let the Word richly dwell in you, though, you have no light to shine. You have to have the Word. That's the only thing that changes. The only thing that has the power to make change, the only thing to manifest the life of God in the noun form and make it a verb and make it active in changing people's lives is through the Word. The Word lived, the Word spoken, the Word lived by faith. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.